been a very challenging series, amen? Had, had one of our elders walk by and said, preach till you make the devil mad. And I thought in my head, I wonder how many devils are in the room today. Hallelujah. Mm. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. This, is a, this has been a very powerful, challenging series. It's been interesting, the feedback that I've gotten. Um, the good news is we're in week four. The bad news is it gets worse. And by bad news, I mean bad news for the devil. Hallelujah. Listen, we're in this series entitled, Woe. These are the words of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 23. And I've subtitled this message this morning, Take Me to the Altar. Take me to the altar. I, I, I had the privilege of doing a wedding this weekend, and um, it's one of the things I enjoy doing as a minister. I, I do enjoy bringing people into covenant. Um, it's interesting to me, the, the, the more I do weddings, the more compliments I get for making them Jesus-centered. It's interesting to me that here we are making a man stand before a woman and a woman stand before a man in the eyes of God, yet never invite God to the conversation and wonder how it doesn't work out. It's interesting to me, it's almost as if it's an oxymoron to me, how can you come to stand before God and then not invite him into the marriage. If it is a covenant, then is it a covenant between a man and a woman? But it is not just a covenant between a man and a woman. It's a covenant between a man and his God and a woman and her God and then to each other. So even if my wife would permit me to do things outside of the context of scriptures, I still would have to remain in covenant with my God in spite of the permission that my wife may afford me. Ooh, I'm already preaching now. That wasn't in my notes. Take me to the altar. I, I found it interesting as, as we're now in wedding season. I've got about four or five more that I'll be doing over the next few weeks. And it's interesting to me that as time has gone on, we, we, we used to have this moment where we would bring the bride and the groom to an altar. And they would take communion and the pastor would perform communion by the first act of their marriage would be to partake of his body and partake of his blood and allow that to be the covering thing of that relationship. And, and not only do you not see altars in marriages anymore, you don't really find altars in churches anymore. And I believe that in this series, and in not only this series, but also in this season where God is pulling the covers back on the hypocrites, where he's exposing those areas of our life where we're faking our covenant with him. We, we have what the Bible describes as a form of godliness, but when we look for power, nobody can find the switch and see something take place when it gets transitioned. And, and, and listen, and, and I believe that that, that that absence of an altar experience, I, I was, I was co-leading this marriage with, with an elderly gentleman. He was in his 90s. He's a minister. He's still preaching. Uh, I promise you that will not be me. Because I'm long-winded now. Can you imagine when I'm completely senile? Hallelujah. <laughs> I will be eternal and everlasting. Hallelujah. And, and so I was co-pastor. We were co-officiating um, this wedding. And, and we began to talk. And, and I, I made the statement that, that somewhere along the way we got the altars out of the church. We got the altars experience. And I don't mean literal, literal pieces of wood per se. But I'm talking about the moment where we get to present ourselves to the Lord. 
And even this preacher in his 90s, and, and I have high honor and high regard for him, he said, oh, Pastor Glenn, you don't understand. That's just a place to stand. And I want you to know today that anywhere can become an altar if you determine that it's going to be the place where you stand before the Lord your God. And I want you to know today that no matter whether there's a piece of wood in a church or out of a church, whether there's a piece of wood in your home or out of your home, there must be a place in your life where we remain pre presenting ourselves before our living God. And here's the crisis that I see in the Church of America today. And once again, this was not a popular conversation for Jesus. I know this is not a popular conversation in 2020. Listen, what's happened today is the byproduct is that we have now started to seek after the gifts of God that sits on people versus present ourselves to the giver of those gifts. So we no longer present ourselves to the God who giveth all things. Every good and perfect gift cometh from the Lord. We no longer present ourselves to God. We present ourselves to the preacher. We present ourselves to the prophet. We present ourselves to the apostle. We present ourselves to the evangelist. We present ourselves to the teacher. We present ourselves to the prayer team. And we're presenting ourselves to the congregation. And the problem is, can't no congregation save. No congregation can redeem. No pastor can redeem. No congregation. You hear what I'm saying? That there's nobody that can wash anything away save God Almighty. And the byproduct is we have now gone to a situation where we're known more for our our gifts in the church than anything else. And the problem with being known for your gifts is sooner or later people will get in the way of said spiritual gifts. So in an attempt to bring you into the presence of the Lord, a worship team will say, now y'all worship me because it's finally my solo. And if I'm not the one singing, I'm not even coming. And if you've been in church at all, you know what I'm talking about. Because we find ourselves performing for the congregation, and somewhere along the way, like Lucifer, we think that their praise is an indicator of how gifted we are. Meanwhile, young, relatively young man raised in the old school, when I was coming up, everybody went to the altar. It was the people who were struggling that didn't find themselves worthy of presenting themselves to God. So it got real easy to be prophetic back in the old school. Because if you did not come to the altar, that means you had something going on. And so a mother in the church would go, baby, I don't know why you're sitting back here, but come on. And we're going to get here to Jesus. And they would get you on your knees at the altar. And they would do this thing we don't understand anymore. They would pray you through. Now, let me tell you what pray you through means. That means they're going to hold you there, and if you need to get saved, save is not enough. They're going to get you saved. They're going to get you through being saved into sanctified. They're going to get you through being sanctified into filled with the Holy Ghost, and they're going to get you through being filled with the Holy Ghost until you know you can walk out of here and bombard hell with a water gun because there's power on you that you didn't have before that moment that you had your encounter. And how long it took was however long it took. But the new church, the church of our culture, we now no longer have time for the altars. Oh, if you hear me today and you're just thinking the church, you're missing the point. I, I brought this altar from my home. This is the altar at the Walters residence. 
And every time my wife does Bible study, Faith Friday, she's in the room of the atmosphere where these prayers are constantly having petitions made. Hmm. The new church, the new school, the culture of our day, we no longer have time for altar experiences. So we give God drive-by discipleship. I'm going in the car, come on, go with me, Jesus. I'm going into a meeting, come on, go with me, Jesus. And we never present ourselves to him, but we're always asking him to present himself to us. And if by chance you do find a church that will make room for an altar, experience, what we'll do is we'll usher you into a new room just in case something freaky happens because we don't want to have to explain and make people uncomfortable. But let me tell you what happened to me when I was growing up. Every time I felt like I wasn't really, really close to the Lord, they would have one of those services. If you've never been in one of those services, all you got to do is invite someone who doesn't know the Lord, ask them to come to Judah with you, and I promise you we'll have one of those services. And you'll know they're in one of those services because when they get up, the cushion of the seat has been stretched. Oh, you got the visual, didn't you? <laughs> because they were ooh, all drawn up for what was going on. Because there's something about the raw power of God showing up that will bring an awe. Now, it may freak you out, praise the Lord, let's start somewhere. But I would rather be freaked out by the power of God than not, than, than not even know God and come in and be completely comfortable. Okay. So, that's the new culture. But now we're in this new wave of corona and social injustice. Where we're not even allowed to touch each other anymore. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something about being touched. There's something about someone putting their hand on you or you putting their hand on them. There's something about being touched. There's, there's something about coming into the house of the Lord and being touched. My grandmother's 92 years old, and we haven't been able to really be with her and touch her since the day we put my dad in the ground, her son in the ground. And I want you to know, I long for the day where I can put my hand on my grandmother. Yeah, I get to talk, but there's still something about being touched. And now we're in a culture today where we don't even touch anymore. If we even show up, we're not looking for a touch. So what we've done is we've created congregations that are enamored with gifts versus glory. If I can be prophetic enough, maybe you'll think I'm holy enough. If we can be excellent enough, Maybe you'll think we're anointed enough. And so what we've done is we've created congregations and crowds that are so enamored with the gifts that we wait for the moment for everybody to have the turn to get their gift on. Oh, I came today to get my gift on. And so we'll draw you in by the droves if I'm able to get my charismatic, my charisma, my, my teaching gift or my preaching gift or, or my musical gift or my worship gift. And the problem with it is if you're not careful, you'll end up like Samson and you'll be sleeping with prostitutes on Saturday night and coming into the house of the Lord. And because God's anointing will come on you for the sake of the congregation, you can live like hell, see God use you anyway, and think God has accepted your sin. 
But I believe God is calling us in Matthew 23 to the altar again. Because watch this. It's at the altar where I'm altered. Change does not happen because somebody prophesied over you. Change doesn't happen because some guy or some lady put their hand on you. That's just clay, touching clay. But where we're changed is when we have stood before a living God and we knew we were not worthy and the only thing we could say was woe unto me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I have sinful hands and I'm in a generation that is just full of sinful as mine yet somewhere in his grace and his mercy he picks up the coal from the altar and he purifies our words again because we know we have come into a place to have an encounter with glory. Jesus is confronting it in Matthew 23, in verse 16 now. Listen to what he says. He says, woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Verse 20. What, oh, next verse, come on. Verse 17. Fools and blinds, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Verse 18. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind gold. Here's where we're going to be today. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Verse 20, therefore he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things that are on it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. We're blind. And I'm afraid what's caught our vision is the gifts that are running around being exposed in the church. Go back to verse 16 for me. We, we're <laughs> Jesus, watch this. Through this text, he is confronting bogus vows. You know what I mean? When you swear for the sake of sounding spiritual, Oh, God, if you'll give me that husband. Oh, God, if you'll give me that wife. Oh, God, if you'll give me that job. Oh, God, if you'll open this door. Oh, God, if you'll help me in this situation. Oh, God, if you bail me out, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this. And you know deep down on the inside, all you're trying to do is manipulate a God who knows your heart anyway. He's saying, listen, this bogus junk that you're talking to me, I understand. Man may look on the outside and men may listen to how eloquent you sound but I see the heart of the situation and I know the motive for why you want that that you're asking for and why you desire that that you're asking for and what I'm telling you is that Jesus is saying if you're ever going to really get into covenant with me you've got to come into covenant with me and it's all spiritual talk for the sake of the crowd he confronted this again in Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37, where you see the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he tells them on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, this is bogus Christianity. It's bogus Christianity. He goes so far as to say this in verse 37. Let your yes be 
and your no be whatever you say you're going to do then you better follow through with it. And whatever you say you're not going to do, you better follow through with it. And, and, and isn't it interesting today that the people most people don't want to do business with are the ones with the fish on the back of their van. Because we don't know if we're getting hooked and crooked in the name of Jesus. Can I just tell you today that at some point, we've got to be faithful. Even if we're fearful, we still have to be faithful. And my yes is yes, and my no is no. And if I look at my daughter and say, you can't have that, guess what? You can't have that. And if I look at my son and say, you're in trouble, go upstairs and get me the hammer, I mean the belt. I'm going to discipline you. I cannot allow my emotions to fade and my word go with it. Do you hear? Because what we're doing is we're creating a culture of liars. If I tell you that I'm going to lead the church as unto the Lord, then I have to do what I say I'm going to do. If I'm telling you I'm praying for you, then I have to pray for you. If I'm telling you that I love Jesus, then I have to love, y'all don't hear what I'm saying, that I have to love Jesus. If I tell you that I'm in covenant with this woman, then I have to remain in covenant with this. Because when I'm dead, I don't want someone to have to make excuses hoping I made it in. He's confronting the bogus vows of our day. God, if you'll grow this church. Well, if I'm committed, whether this church ever grows, I'm committed. What he's confronted in Matthew 26, 16 through 22 is the childishness that we see in Christianity today. Like a child, we make promises and we cross our fingers and put it behind our back as if God can't see. It is childishness. Only children make promises with their fingers crossed behind their back. How many times have we gone back on our promises that we've made to God? Deuteronomy 23, 21. Listen to the words. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay. The Hebrew word here is defer. That you shall not delay in the vow you make, for it will be sin in you. Your delayed obedience is disobedience. And when you defer it, oh, well, I can't afford it this week. I can't afford it this month. I, I can't afford it during this season. I'm not talking about just money, but I'm not excluding money either. When you make a vow to God, for me to delay becomes sin in my life. Watch this. And the Lord your God will surely require it. He didn't require it until you said you would do it. But the moment you said you would do it, it now becomes expectation. This is why our kids get shocked when we break our covenants between husband and wife. Because they're under the assumption when you said it, you meant it. And when you meant it, you didn't plan on getting over it anytime soon. Hear me today. 
Delayed obedience is disobedience. Oh, I just, I felt Holy Spirit. You're not required to hold the mantle of what past failures were. But from this day forward, it is from this day forward. Hmm. It's interesting to me. I sat at the wedding yesterday with a lawn, off, a, a, a lawn a lone person who calls to try to get money from student loans. Collector, there it is. It's amazing to me how many people try to keep kicking the can down the road of their promise. It's quiet in here now. Hoping that the government will forgive or the government will forget. But the problem is you made covenant. You made a vow. Is your yes, yes or is your no hope that somebody forgives or forgets? Here's the problem, 17. Fools. And not just any kind of fools, but blind fools. See, it's one thing to be a fool because you lack understanding. But it's another thing to walk without vision. Three times in this particular woe, he calls them blind. Three times Jesus calls them blind. Why? He called them blind. He said, you're a blind guide, you're a blind fool, and you're a bunch of blind men. Why? Because they fail to see the issue clearly. They thought that because they were standing in church and made statements, that they were only talking to the ears of the people that were listening. And you fail to see the issue clearly that when your yes is yes and your no is no, that not only does the people who hear it pay attention, but the one who's holding you accountable for every idle word is having his ear paying attention as well. And it's blind foolishness to think, yet not see clearly the issue at hand. Their approach to their reality is cloudy. They, they don't have clear perspective or perception about the situation. Here's what he said in Matthew 5, verse 14. Leave them, they are blind guides, and if a blind man leads a blind man, they both fall into the ditch. It is a sad day. When you and I follow people who have no clear vision of what God is doing in this earth. It is foolishness and it is ridiculous that we who are in the light are being led by those that have no clear understanding and no clear vision that the earth is still the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that inhabit it and they that dwell therewithin. It is foolishness and it is a lack of clear vision to think that what is happening in the world that God is not strong enough to allow it to work in his favor and for our are good. It is agnostics that we find in the church more than believers. 
And the agnostic says, I believe there's a God and I believe he created everything, but I don't believe he's present in my situation. He's up in heaven somewhere, and every once in a while, if I beg him enough, he'll show up for my situation. As if God is not leading, as if the Lord is not our shepherd, present tense. What really caught me is verse 19. For, for what is greater? The gifts or the altar? Now, if I'm a betting man, there was at least one person who saw these gifts and thought, man, I hope one of them lands in my lap. Because that sure does look like a shoebox. And I'm sure nobody went, man, I sure hope he gives away that altar. Because we have become enamored with the flash. We have become enamored with the mysticism and spirituality of the gifts. Oh, just there's nine gifts over here, by the way. So we're enamored with the prophet. We're enamored with the healing. We're enamored with the tongues. We're enamored with all of the manifestation, discerning of spirits. We're enamored with all of the spooky mysticism. And listen, I'm all for every one of the nine gifts of the spirit. But the problem is I can't be so enamored with this and completely allow this to sit off to the side. Which is greater, the gifts or the altar that sanctifies the gifts? And I'm afraid that us in America today have become more enamored with the gifts of the Spirit than the altar experience that sanctifies every gift. Oh, God have mercy. And the problem is that we see in our culture today that every other week we're having ministers that have the gifts have to apologize for their moral failures. Why? Because they have fallen in love with the gift and left, y'all don't hear, and left the altar that sanctifies that gift. Take me to the altar again. Take me to the altar again. I don't care what you can prophesy. I don't care your word of knowledge. I don't care your gift of healing if you don't have the character to present your body as a living. Take me to the altar. If you don't have a gift, as long as you have an altar, your gift doesn't matter because you're dead. Take me to the altar. And what we've done is we have allowed the gift to deceive us to think because we are operating in said gift that we must be accepted at said altar. And the byproduct is we have now made celebrities out of servants. We've made celebrities out of nothing more than servants. Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among us are servants of all. Let me help everybody in this room today. 
in this room watching on live stream. And I pray every pastor that's leading their own movement, every position in the kingdom and every position at Judah Church is a position of servanthood. And if you are too good and you are too holy to pick up a towel and serve, then you are too good for Jesus and you are too good for Judah. If the only time you, oh God have mercy, if the only time you can feel like you're doing something is when the show is in your favor, I'm telling you this is not the place. Uh. Oh, God, I hear Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. Ephesians 4, you ready? And he gave some. Christ himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Let me translate that for you. And Christ himself gave some to be servants and servants and servants and servants and servants. That every place in Judah is a position of servanthood. And we lead by serving and we serve by leading. But all of us are serving the Lord by loving each other. So which is greater? The gifts? Look at verse 19. Are the altar that sanctifies it. Help me, sir. Is it the gift stand there? Is it the gift? Or is it the altar? Is it the gift? Or is it the altar? Is it the gift or is it the altar? Is it the gift or is it the altar? Is it the gift or is it the altar? Is it a healing or is it the altar? Is it tongues or is it the altar? Is it prophecy or is it the altar? Is it discerning of spirits or is it altar? God put our gifts back on the altar and let them be sanctified for the people of God again. Give me the altar and let us sanctify the gifts. It's the altar. It's the altar. It's the altar. For he who swears by heaven, I'm in 22 now, swears by heaven. Ah, but you don't swear by heaven. You swear by the throne and him who sits on it. I need you to understand, you and I are not gifted. We are stewards of said gifts. We are not gifted. We are the stewards of those gifts. And those gifts are irrelevant to us and can be used as demonic exercises when we leave the sanctity of the altar where it has been sanctified and it has been qualified and it has been released and it has been given to us. Isn't it a sad thing when we get so enamored by gifts that when they fall, we fall too? The pit of a blind preacher and his whole congregation falls as well. Hear me today. Never follow anyone that is not bound to the altar. If you're going to follow somebody, Make sure you follow them here. If you're going to follow, oh God have mercy, I feel prophetic. If you're going to follow a man, make sure you found him coming here. Good God have mercy. 
If you're going to follow a businessman, you better make sure you're following him here before he gets into the board. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Find someone who was bound because God is looking for a bound people, an altar bound people. Gifts are altars. I prefer altars with sanctified gifts. So how do we get here? Let's go to Romans now. Chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. That word beseech is a real spiritual term. It sounds really King James. But here's what he's saying. He says, I beg you. Paul is writing to the church at Rome going, I am begging you by the mercies of God. The only reason we have this opportunity is because of mercy. What I'm about to, I'm begging you to about to, about to do is only because mercy has allowed it to happen. Mercy has created the opportunity for you to choose. And Paul is saying, I'm begging you. Cause of mercy that you present your gift as a living sacrifice. No, that's not scriptural. That you present your tithe as a living sacrifice. No, it's not scriptural. That you present your leadership. No, that's not. That you present all the rooms that you've given Jesus access to. No. I beg you by the mercies of God that you present you This is a powerful thing. Because most of us don't want to present the ugly side of us. Because we've done so good at being a makeup artist that we have forgotten even our own flaws. He says, I want you to present you. Uh-uh, not the fake you. Not the pretend you. Not the bogus vow spiritual King James praying you. But I want you to present you as a living sacrifice. Because if I will come to the altar, he'll kill me of me. And I found that in 2020, nobody wants to die anymore. But if I'll present my body, if I'll present me, everything about me will die. That's me. So that I can say, nevertheless, not I, but Christ. Luke 9, 24 is tapping me on the shoulder. And those who save their life will lose it. And those who will lose their life 
will be saved. That if I would present my body as a living sacrifice, holy, mm, holy, and acceptable. That I must present me as a living sacrifice so that he can take the unholy and purge it from me. So that I can put on his holy, to be ye holy, for I am holy. But not only holy, that's spiritual, but acceptable. And there are things that he's requiring of me at the altar that may not be an issue of holy or unholy, but is an issue of acceptable or unacceptable. For you see, if I'm a living sacrifice, there are things that I can do and there are things that I can't do because I want to be acceptable to the one I'm sacrificing me to. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. You ready? Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your, oh God, oh God. Come on, Antoine, right here. <laughs> when you're dead, every part of you is on the table. And you have no voice to negotiate. When you're dead, I'm just going to leave it there. Everything is on the table. And there's not a part of you that is not up. Not for negotiation, but for sacrifice. Which is your, everybody say that word with me. There's nothing God requires of us that is unreasonable. But most of us don't want a reason. So we're asking for a reason, but we don't really want a reason. So we look at him saying, if you're going to take this season, take it, but this is unreasonable. No, no, no. This is reasonable when I'm a living had a precious lady in our church. She made a statement to me. And this is testimony. This ain't preacher, superhero stuff. This is, this is, I have to live here, okay? Because if I don't, I shouldn't be up here. Precious lady in our church comes up to me. She says, Pastor, I don't, I don't know how you're enduring this season. You lost your father to cancer. Well, number one, I didn't lose him because I know where he is. Then you go into Corona, and then you go into severe division in our nation and in our city for the social injustices, the injustices that are happening in our nation. And then from there, we, we you know, her dad blood clot that is from his knee all the way up into his stomach. The clot is that big, that thick. Not sure if it's going to break apart and get to his heart. 
50-50 in the hospital. And it was in that season she goes, I just don't know how much you can endure. And I knew what she was trying to say to me, which was consolation, empathy. I got it. It's precious. But I looked at her and said, whatever he requires is whatever he requires. Though he slay me, there's a yet still on the inside of me. Because I'm not running around here. Hey, y'all, come again. Here's all my gifts. Be entertained. Are you not entertained? This is the only way I survive. This won't sustain me. This is the only thing that sustains. Holy and acceptable unto see if I'm worried about my gift, I'm just trying to be holy and acceptable unto the congregation. <laughs> but when I'm at the altar, I'm trying to be holy and acceptable unto God. And I'm here today to tell you after 44 years of living, it's reasonable. It's reasonable for me to worship. It's reasonable for me to pray. It's reasonable for me to honor him. It's reasonable for me to lift my hands. It's reasonable for me to give him my voice. It's reasonable for me to walk even through the valley of the shadow of death. It's reasonable for me to lose my job. It's reasonable for me to praise him in a storm. It's reasonable for me to praise him. And although all hell breaking loose around me, it's still reasonable to trust him. Because it's my act of worship. So let me finish here. Verse 2. In light of my reasonable act of worship as a living sacrifice here, I cannot be conformed. That's next week's message. Hallelujah. I cannot be conformed. I cannot be shaped by the cons of the culture. You hear what I said? I cannot be formed. I cannot be shaped by the con artist of the culture. That I cannot conform to the patterns of the, you better check your patterns today. That's what God is telling us, that we got to check the patterns we're following. We got to check the patterns that we're following. We got to check the, am I angry? Why am I angry? Because I'm being conned? Am I frustrated? Why am I frustrated? Because I'm being conned? Am I hopeless? Why am I hopeless? Because I'm being conned. Am I, oh God, am I loveless? It's because I'm, maybe it's because I'm being conned. I cannot be conformed. But I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Can I just prophesy? I'm going to call you to a three-day fast. I'm calling you to a three-day news media and social media fast. And you'll find out how much conning you've been given. 
and how forming it has become. But I must be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Watch this. That I may prove. Everybody say prove. That word in the Greek, watch this, it means open demonstration. I heard the Lord just tell me to tell somebody, I'm about to openly demonstrate my will in your life. I'm, it's about to be an open demonstration. The reason why I've taken you through the season you've been in is because I'm creating an open demonstration. I decree and declare unto you that this pain that you've had to walk in is for an open demonstration. That when I turn it, I get all the glory for it. And I'm about to release open demonstration of my will over you. Let me run to the end now. Uh, now I'm going to run to the end. Let's run to the altar. You ready? So what happens at the altar? Oh, man, I'm going to have more time in the next service. Whew. You must understand what happens at the altar. We find it in 1 Kings chapter number 18. When Elijah's calling down fire from heaven, the Bible says, and this is all throughout scriptures, you'll see it in the Old Testament, where he takes 12 stones and they'll take 12 stones, and it's a memorial of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he'll take 12 stones, and they'll build it as memorials, and they'll build it as specifically in, in the prophet Elijah's life in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, where he takes 12 stones, and he builds an altar there for the consuming fire of God to fall. Didn't know you were singing that today. Hallelujah, about the fire of God falling. He says, listen, I'm going to build an altar, and I'm going to take 12 stones. Each one of those, are you Okay. Let me preach real quick. You ready? Each one of those stones represents each one of the tribes of Israel because each one of those are things that happen at the altar. That, that when God brings you to an altar experience, there are 12 things that will manifest in your life when you come to a true altar encounter with the Lord. You ready? Number one, Reuben, which means seeing. In other words, when I come to the altar, God sees me. That, Simeon, that it means hearing. That not only does God see me when I come to the altar, but God hears me when I come to the altar. Levi, that word means joined. Here's what that means, that when I come to the altar, God is partnering with me. He sees me. He hears me and he's partnering with me. Watch this. Judah, when I come to the altar, God is honored by my praise of him. He's honored by me when I come to the altar. Dan, it means God is my judge. Let me see. Let me explain that to you. That when I come to the altar, God is making decisions for me. Naphtali, it means wrestling. In other words, God is doing business with me at the altar. Gad, it means a troop comes. <laughs> that when I come to the altar, God knows where to send my help. And he sends it at the altar. Asher, the Bible tells us that the name Asher means blessed. In other words, that God releases favor on me at the altar. Issachar, it means wages. That God reconciles my sacrifices at the altar. Zebulun, it means dwelling with husband. In other words, God makes covenant promises with me at the altar. Joseph, it means the Lord will add a son, not only will he make a promise, he'll keep a promise with me. And Benjamin, it be son of my right hand. And we know that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's at the altar where he releases his joy. Manasseh, it needs to forget my toil and my father's house. In other words, when I come to the altar, God helps me to move forward. And it's at the altar. Ephraim, it means fruitfulness. In other words, God plants seeds at the the altar. God waters seeds at the altar. And God released harvest at the altar. What are you saying to me, Pastor? I'm saying what happens at the altar is my life gets altered at the altar.
My life is altered at the altar. Maybe you don't feel like he's seeing you. Well, maybe you're not in the right position. Maybe you don't feel like he's hearing you. Maybe you're not in the right position. Maybe you don't feel like he's reconciling things for you. Maybe you're not in the right position. Maybe you don't feel like you have any help. Maybe you're not in the right position. Maybe you don't think you're favored. Maybe it's because you're not in the right position. Because at the altar is where I'm altered. finished that sermon Friday I package it up and I make it ready and Holy Spirit said tell my people one last thing Troy mentioned it last night at the prayer meeting that for eight years it's been longer than that but eight years of Judah church I have always said as it relates to the altar that the altar is open always open am I right here's what the Holy Spirit said to me Friday he said son I don't want my altars open I want my altars full today time for you and I to present ourselves as living sacrifices stand with me all over the room God Holy Spirit don't allow 12615 Steel Creek Road to always have the altars open. Help us, God, to always have the altar full. Let your altars be filled with living sacrifices. I don't know who this is for today, but somebody's supposed to present themselves today. And I'm releasing you right now in this moment. It can be just a place to come stand if you want it to be. Or it can be the place where He sees you, He hears you, He blesses you, He reconciles, He releases healing and favor. It can be a place where you're altered. Right here at the altar heads are bowed and eyes are closed if you feel prompted of Holy Spirit move right now move right now just lift your hands all over this room just lift your hands all over this room you're not comfortable coming forward that's okay with me come on present yourself I want for the next 30 seconds for a worship and a reasonable act of worship 
to come out of every vessel today. All over this room, I want it to be reasonable for you to lift your hands. I want it to be reasonable for you to lift your voice. I want you to be reasonable, even in the midst of the toughest season of your life. Right where you are watching online. Come on, I want you to present yourself and make it a reasonable act of worship. Nothing's off the table, oh God. Nothing's up for negotiation. I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours. You want my heart? <laughs> you got it. You want my mind? You got it. You want my will? You got it. You want more time? You got it. It's yours forever. I'm yours forever. Oh. Somebody just breathe a worship right here. I feel glory falling in this room. I feel glory seeping into this place. marriage, my singleness, my children, my job, my mind, my money. Oh, it's a living sacrifice. <laughs> you got it, you got it. Sing that verse. Sing that second verse. You deserve my full attention. Yeah. Nothing less than my devotion. Speak to me and I will. Tell him. I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. I do it again. Say you deserve my full attention. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing less than my devotion. Speak, Lord. Speak to me and I will listen. I'll give. And I'll give you everything. I'll give you everything. Oh. And Sing it if you know it. Nothing less than my devotion. Say, speak, speak to me and I will listen. 
This morning. Come on, tell it.
Somebody just speak love to the Lord right now. Just speak love to the Lord. I believe he's doing business. I believe he's doing business. I believe he's doing business. He's seeing somebody. He's hearing somebody. He's being honored by somebody. He's making decisions for somebody. room to meet me in this front every staff member that I have to have meet me in this front every spiritual son and daughter that I have to meet me in this front every prayer warrior prayer leader ministry leader see you. I want you to gather right there. Gather right there. Nick, you've been in the trenches. Just stay right there with my with those students. It's my altar. It's our altar. last um, weeks it's been weeks now where God has wrecked my sleep I find myself getting close my heart being drawn to communion my prayer that this house and all of the gifts live sanctified by the altar I pray that all nine gifts are in manifestation every one of the prayers of this house that all nine gifts of the spirit are in function and operation every single service in this room kids Students, that the nine gifts of the Spirit are in function and operational, and it's not weird but supernatural. But it moves from supernatural to weird when it gets up off the altar. So I'm calling us to the altar. 
that we've been given the awesome responsibility of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Our gifts mean nothing if it's not sanctified by the altar. And I decree that as for me and his house, at every level we will serve the Lord. Father, your leadership is standing. But what we're really doing is binding ourselves as living sacrifices to the place where you meet us. Holy Spirit, we praise you and thank you for the gifts. But we ask you to keep us bound to the sanctifying power of sacrificial worship at the place where we stand or we kneel or we bow or we lay as dead men and women before you. God, don't allow us to defame your name. Don't allow this place to be a place that steals glory that is only reserved for you. Don't allow this place to be filled with glory thieves. But all the blessing and all the glory and all the honor and all the power and all the dominion belongs to you now and forever. Father, we repent of every time we've tried to steal glory that was only reserved for you. We repent of every time in the name of spirituality we were really walking in carnality. We throw ourselves on the altar, oh God, and say you increase and allow us to decrease. And we say right here, God, that we are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation and we will proclaim your good news for it's in you that we live we move and we have our very being raise us as a servant city on a hill. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Well, God is good. The time has come bless you today before you leave. Listen, do me a favor. I want you to pray for me this week. Pray for me this week. Next Sunday sermon is really the one that has kept me up. 
of the last three or four weeks. Next week's sermon. Climbing over here and dying is the easy one. Next week is the one that is a separator. Sheep or goats. Wheat or tares. Those who walk in the light and those who enjoy the darkness. It's where I would have said back in the old days where the rubber will meet the road. It has to show up in our daily living. Camels and gnats is the scripture. And how will they know if there's not a preacher? Y'all pray for me this week. Those of you that pray, those of you that don't pray, it's a good time to start. Good time to start. Start with me. I need the prayer and you need to practice. Amen. Pray, pray for me. I love you. I'm praying for you. Praying for you. Because at some point, the redeemed are going to have to say so. And somewhere along the way, we have gotten spiritual laryngitis. And at some point, we're going to have to be silent no more. And I believe God's turning that corner. Our retaliation will be revival. But repentance will precede it. That's what God is doing. There's a level of glory about to sweep. I'm telling you, there is a revival that is coming to those who are willing to die. I'm telling you, and I want this place to be a church on fire. I want this place. But that doesn't mean the building has to be on fire. That means the beloved are completely like fire shut up in our bones. We have to be set ablaze. What's happening on the West Coast in the natural. I pray will be a spiritual manifestation that becomes natural in this house and the ones that are hungry to see a move that only he can get the credit for. And the only way he gets credit is if it's a bunch of dead people leading the charge. Amen. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, may he increase you a thousand times more than what you are. May he increase the dead things to self and sin. May they continue to crescendo in your life. May he increase you a thousand times more than what you are. And may he fulfill every promise that he has given you in the name of the Father, in the freedom of the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things. Amen and amen.